Welcome back to Plant Power, the power of plants in a changing climate. I'm your host, Emma Wilson, the Fred and Virginia Houck Sustainability Intern at the North Carolina Botanical Garden. I'm here to guide you on a six episode journey through native plant topics and their connection with our changing climate through interviews with some of North Carolina's finest naturalists. Because of the coronavirus, COVID-19, we have made some changes to our podcast and we'll be trying out some new recording strategies using remote recordings. So we thank you for your patience as we navigate through this new scenario. Those native bees actually end up being, in terms of ecosystem services, far more important um, than honeybees are. I'm not trying to downplay honeybees. Honeybees <laughs> are important, but, yeah. but the native bees are really important. While you're enjoying apples, watermelon, cucumber, bread, or even beer, thank a pollinator. One of every three bites of the food or beverage that we consume is directly because of a pollinator. Pollinators are responsible for facilitating the reproduction for over 90% of the world's flowering plants. They're also vital in maintaining the ecosystems that many animals rely on for food and shelter. A pollinator is an animal that moves pollen from a male flower to a female flower, bringing about fertilization and reproduction in flowering plants. Without these animals, reproduction would have a slim chance of taking place and plant populations would dwindle. That could mean no coffee, fruit, or sunflowers. When you hear the word pollinator, most people most likely imagine a bee or a butterfly. While both are abundant and important, we have other pollinators to thank. Birds, flies, wasps, and even bats are important in the pollinator process. Pollinators are truly amazing, but are unfortunately at risk due to human activities. The increased urbanization of our world has decreased habitat for pollinators. Agriculture, resource extraction, and development have degraded the environment that they rely on to survive. Pollinators are also threatened by non-native and invasive plants and disease. Speaking with us more about what is threatening our pollinators and how we can help is Dr. Clyde Sorensen, Alumni Association Distinguished Undergraduate Professor of Entomology at North Carolina State University. Clyde teaches about the interactions of insects and humans and conducts research on the pollination of rare and endangered plants in North Carolina. Welcome Clyde, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well and I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So let's start with the basics. What is the connection between habitat, humans, and pollinators? Well, uh, all animals, including humans, have to have appropriate habitats, and that's true for all pollinators as well. And the big connection, I guess, that we need to address between uh, humans and pollinators uh, with respect to habitat now is, is that uh, we as a species, our species, has become so dominant on the face of this planet that we have dramatically altered most of the habitats that other uh, creatures, including pollinators, use. And so we've had a tremendous impact on uh, the resources that are available to uh, those other organisms, including all those things that um, pollinate plants. Gotcha. There's a word that floats around surrounding this topic called fragmentation. Can you tell me what that is and why it poses a threat to these pollinators? So habitat fragmentation is, is the, the process where our activities uh, disrupt the occurrence on the landscape of different kinds of habitats. 
And one important component of fragmentation is simply displacement. And the problem with fragmentation is, is well, for one thing, it's simply a smaller amount of habitat available to them, but it also becomes harder and harder for them to locate it, to exploit it. And there's another thing that goes on. Um, the smaller patches of remaining habitat, uh, of uh, viable habitat are the less likely particular species are to persist over time. Um, so there are certainly species, valuable species of pollinators that are under significant uh, kind of range-wide duress mm -hmm. because of, of the things that we're doing. Uh, kind of notably amongst those would be some of the bumblebees. You know, we just recently within the last year or so, um, we listed special uh, several species of bumblebees as endangered species because they've declined so precipitously. Wow. Um, can you explain the relationship between native plants and native pollinators? So, yeah, so the relationship's tight. Most, po most native pollinators do best when they have the native uh, plants that they evolved with available to them. And mm -hmm. so, um, in fact, some pollinators are very tightly tied to particular um, plants. There's a species of uh, bee we oddly enough call the blueberry bee because mm -hmm. it pretty well sticks to blueberries and it basically only occurs uh, every year during the time when blueberries are blooming. Yeah. Um, so there are some of those uh, that have those tight relationships, but in general, um, native plants are best for native pollinators. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, there are some rare uh, uh, occurrences of where we've introduced plants that are actually um, harmful to native pollinators mm. because the resources they provide either aren't appropriate or may actually be outright toxic. And then just non-native plants, are they, they're not harmful, but they're, are they just okay for the pollinator or what's that kind of relationship look like? Well, it, 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 it varies um, between um, actual, between pollinator species. So, you know, when we talk about pollinators, by the way, let's go ahead and kind of define who we're talking about. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of different organisms, animals that serve as, as uh, pollinators for different kinds of plants. The most uh, well-known and the most probably well-regarded are bees. And as you said earlier, um, we think about bees as pollinators, but when we think about bees, we need to think about bees more broadly than lots of folks do. Lots of folks think about bees and they think about the honeybee. Well, the honeybee is not a native insect in North America. It was introduced with the European colonization. But in North Carolina alone, we have about 530 species of native bees. Mm -hmm. And um, those native bees actually end up being, in terms of ecosystem services, far more important um, than honeybees are. I'm not trying to downplay honeybees. Honeybees <laughs> are important, but, yeah. but the native bees are really important. And then in addition to the native bees, there are lots of flies and um other insects, moths, butterflies um, that are responsible for pollinating uh, particular plants. 
and uh, birds as well. Um, bat pollination is not that big a deal in North Carolina, but it is a very important thing in other parts of um, North America and in other parts of the world. So there are lots and lots of, of animals that do this, but bees are probably um, in lots of cases, the ones that we need to be most concerned about and um, the ones that are most directly responsible for a lot of the pollination service for a lot of our native plants and our crops. Awesome. Um, do you mind telling us about a few specific threatened pollinators that listeners can focus their conservation efforts on or do some more research on? So uh, again, probably the, 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 the bees that have been, or the pollinators that have been most uh, severely affected so far are some of the bees. And again, not, uh, notably amongst those would be the, the bumblebees. And so bumblebees are kind of interesting because um, they're social animals. They establish colonies that persist right on through the, the um, spring, summer, and into the fall. And so they need a lot of floral resources all across the season, starting early in the spring and going right on into the fall. And so uh, if you want to encourage bumblebees, one thing that you can do uh, on your own landscape is to provide a broad diversity of hopefully native um, floral resources right on through uh, the the uh, spring, summer, and into the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that you can do for bumblebees and for other bees is provide uh, suitable places for them to nest. Mm -hmm. And different species of bumblebees nest in slightly different kinds of places, but most of them nest in a hole in something, a hole in the ground, maybe an old chipmunk burrow, mm -hmm. or a stump hole, or sometimes even in a, you know, an, uh, uh, an upturned uh, f uh, flower pot. Yeah. And so providing places for them to nest is another important um, consideration. For some of the other native bees, most of the other native bees, not all of them, but most of them nest in the soil. And most of them prefer to have soil that doesn't have a lot of vegetation on it. So bare patches of soil a lot of folks don't like that in their yard, but that's actually kind of a neat thing to have for, for some bees. Right now in my backyard, um, it just, I mean, we're just perfectly timed for this. There are literally thousands of little red chimneys appearing in the back, in, in part of my backyard. Mm -hmm. And those are all little uh, mining bees that uh, come out every year. Um, and they're only around for about three or four weeks, but, uh, they obviously like how poor a uh, uh, lawn keeper I am. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, but yeah, bumblebees, I guess, are, are the ones that we're most familiar with being uh, under some threat. But it's important to understand that a lot of those other bees probably are too. We just don't know as much about them as we need to. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my colleagues, Steve uh, Frank, had a student. Uh, a few years ago do some work and um, she established that because of things like climate change and and uh, the heat island effect that you see in cities some bees simply can't persist because it's too hot yeah. 
and so we know other bees are suffering as well but it's uh the bumblebees are the ones that we know the most about right now interesting and you just spoke a little bit to how people can get involved at their own home but are there any like organizations or citizen science projects that um our listeners can do something about our threatened pollinators with absolutely so uh there are several good resources i'd point folks towards the xerxes society is a, a nonprofit organization that is all about insect conservation mm -hmm. and they have a lot of good resources that you can access online um, that can help you um, create habitats that are beneficial for pollinators uh, more um, uh, directly the North Carolina Cooperative Extension for folks that are living in North Carolina. And by the way, there's an extension service in every other state and, and they're all doing some of these same kinds of things. Uh, the North Carolina Cooperative Extension uh, Service has a, uh, an abundance of resources that some of my colleagues are um, putting together. Uh, if you're local to the triangle, uh, Debbie Roos, who is a, uh, an extension agent in Chatham County has developed an absolutely spectacular pollinator garden in uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, she has a lot of good resources uh, online that you can access through cooperative extension to help you develop uh, a landscape that's pollinator friendly. So what that means is one, a, a great diversity of as high a diversity as you can, of floral resources, preferably native plants mm -hmm. um, that uh, persist and provide floral resources right across the, the growing season, some places for uh, pollinators to rest and to, and to nest. Um, you can provide uh, sites for ground nesting bees, for instance, but you can also um, make domiciles for those bees that nest in twigs and hollow stems um, and uh, water is good you know, a lot of these a lot of these uh, animals actually do best in a landscape that uh, some of us looks kind of untidy mm -hmm. but the more diversity you have in that landscape the more diversity it's liable to support in um, pollinators interesting and if you wanted to plant your own pollinator garden and you have like some forested property and some not forested property, does it really matter which or both or? So yeah, most, uh, I mean, most pollinators need flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So um, in the, the, the floral resources that are found in deep woods are different from the floral resources that you find in more open areas. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a, probably a little bit harder to satisfy or to develop those floor resources in the woods. But the edge, that, that transition area between the woods and the open area, that's, that's a place that's rife with possibility. Awesome. You can put all kinds of floor resources into that edge and, um, that's, that's really where you want to spend the bulk of your effort in developing your pollinator habitats. 
But that being said, you know, if you have lawn areas, um, those lawn areas, if they're managed or perhaps maybe not managed mm -hmm. appropriately, can also provide floor resources. So again, we can go back to my yard. Um, I'm, I've got a, a, a very nice looking yard unless you look at it real closely and then you notice that there's all sorts of stuff besides grass uh -huh. growing in my lawn. And I don't usually mow my grass the first time until the little bluets, those little tiny blue flowers and, uh, that come out early in the spring and the little uh, violets until they finish their blooming. I usually don't mow my grass until they get done because I know those little flowers early in the spring are, are a resource for some pollinators mm -hmm. um, that, that may be really important to their survival through the rest of the year. So there's, there's lots of different ways you can provide that kind of habitat. But mm -hmm. if you're interested in planting for pollinators, edges and foundations of buildings and places like that are awesome spots yeah. to develop um, gardens. Again, you know, the, like I said, they, they think that they, they kind of like an untidy kind of landscape. And so we have to kind of redefine what we consider beautiful and yeah. you know for me beautiful is diverse mm -hmm. and uh, I think if we can kind of maybe go in that mindset that that maybe we can uh, help these these uh, these creatures out a little bit more mm -hmm. wow that was a good ending note <laughs> it kind of <laughs> sums up our whole mission um, well thank you so much for your time and I hope you stay safe and healthy Thank you, and you too. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Plant Power. Dr. Clyde Sorensen gave us some important information about our pollinators. If you are interested in learning more, check out our website for more resources at ncbg.unc.edu slash plantpower. Also, since this is our last full episode, we want to hear from you. Take the survey posted on our website to tell us how you liked the series and tell us if you want to hear more. Find the survey at ncbg.unc.edu slash plantpower. With us today, we had Dr. Clyde Sorensen from North Carolina State University. This podcast is made possible by the North Carolina Botanical Garden. This episode was produced by Janice Starr with music brought to you by Terry Bockland. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. I'm Emma Wilson, and this is Plant Power.